Hey, good morning. How you doing? Got your amen on? All right, you're going to have to use it today. Uh, a couple things I want to bring up. First of all, go vote, okay? Uh, second of all, uh, I see our students kind of spread out around the room. You guys got to be right here, all right? Quit. You got to get back here, okay? You guys are great. You inspire us. You lead us. So I need you down front and center, all right? No excuses. You guys are great. You guys are awesome. Love you that you're here. You too, dude, back at you. But you guys here, okay? All right, good. Third thing is... Um, just heard a report this week from the Baptist General Convention of Texas. Because of COVID-19, there's an expectation that 1,000 church, Baptist churches will close their doors because of this. That's a daunting number. That's, as we try to plant churches and build churches, that's terrible to hear that news. And I, I know several pastors that are leaving the ministry, just stressed out, burned out, just overwhelmed by all this been going on. Uh, in the struggles. And so I know that's, that's just what I know. So I know there's a larger number than that. And the reason I bring it up is because this is Pastor Appreciation Month. <laughs> I don't know who came up with that. Probably a pastor, but hey, let's go with it, okay? Um, but I, as you know, as you've seen, we have an amazing staff here. God has formed an incredible team, and I want to keep them. <laughs> uh, and in ministry, we're never able to pay a pastor what they're worth. So any kind of words of appreciation, uh, acknowledgement of what they do, not only them, but their spouses, their children, because ministry is a calling for the family. The whole family is involved in all of this. So it, thank you for being encouraging to our staff and our staff families, and please keep it up. Uh, and please, as you think about them, pray for them as God brings you to their, them to your mind. Just lift them up to the Father. And when you see them, or even when you don't, when you think about them, send them a text, send them a little letter. I can't tell you how much that means. Because our, our ministers, I know that they love the Lord and they love you. And so whenever they feel the love coming back, it just it does incredible things. So thank you for that, and, and please keep it up. Um, now, we've been going through this series in the book of Romans called Not Ashamed. And it follows the Church Deployed series where we talked about being the church on your block. And it's significant that we talk about this because if we're really going to follow through and be the church deployed, we're going to encounter all kinds of different ideas, thoughts about God, religions, different types of people. And so it's vital that you and I, as we are out into the community ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we, are, that we have a strong foundation. And so as we go through the book of Romans, Paul establishes for us different pillars on our foundation, truths that we need to know, because you're going to encounter a lot of fake truths that are out there. And if you don't know what the right thing to believe is, you could be easily swept away, because there's a lot of stuff out there that sounds good and even sounds Christian. And if you're not rooted and grounded in the truth, like so many, you could easily fall into some of this false teaching, false doctrine. So that's the reason I wanted to follow up the church deployed with this not a shame through the book of Romans. And, and so we were in chapter 1, the first two Sundays. I'm jumping all the way to chapter 6. That's a big leap. Paul talks a lot about different truths through those first five chapters. And those first five chapters, if I could just sum it up for you, it, it's an important word that you understand, the word justification. So Paul deals with this, how we are justified before God because of Christ. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, leader and forgiver of your life, we are justified before God. In other words, when God looks at us as Christians, it's as if we, 
as if we never sinned. Okay, so let's just say, for instance, that you got a speeding ticket. I know none of you do, but let's just imagine for a moment. Well, let's say you got 50 speeding tickets, okay? Um, and so you, you're past the point of no return. You are going to have to go stand before a judge to pay a fine, maybe jail time. This is serious. You've, you've got a record, right, of speeding tickets, and so now you're going to have to deal with it before the judge. And so you go and you stand before the judge, and you don't even plead your case. You haven't even had a chance to respond and give an excuse why every situation was an emergency. And the judge looks at you and says, you're free to go. In fact, this record you have of 50-plus speeding tickets, and you did it. I mean, let's be honest. You did it. You broke the law. I have expunged that record. There is no record of your wrongs. How overwhelming and awesome would that be? That's what it means to be justified before God. We are guilty as sin, pun intended, right? And, and so we stand before God, our holy, righteous judge, and he says, there is, I have forgiven you. I have forgiven your debt. There is no record of this. You don't have to live with that record. You don't have to carry that record. You don't have to be identified by that record. You're set free. That's justification. So justification leads to sanctification, all right? I'm throwing some seminary words at you here for just a minute, so hang on. Justification initiates our sanctification, which ultimately leads to our glorification, but we'll talk about that later. That doesn't happen until we're in heaven. So sanctification is a process. It begins at the point that we give our lives to Jesus Christ, and it processes through our life as we are becoming more like Jesus. It doesn't happen overnight. You didn't wake up after you gave your life to Jesus, and all of a sudden you did everything right. Sin wasn't an issue for you anymore. But as we move through life in Christ, we are becoming more like Jesus. Now, there are times we face stagnation. There are times that things happen, and we kind of feel like we're just running on a treadmill. But those times are short and temporary, and that still we are in this idea of progression. In fact, I would make this statement that Paul kind of highlights here, that faith that does not produce change is not real. That's a key phrase. Faith that does not produce change in your life and in your attitude is not real. Because the Holy Spirit, once he enters in our life, change is going to happen. Again, there's stuff we're still working on and working through, but we're working through it. By our attitude, we have decided we're not going to let sin just hang out in our life. We realize it for what it is. Once we didn't have a choice, once we were enslaved to our sin, we couldn't break free. But in Christ, we have been set free, and so we're learning to, what, to live that way. So it does start with our mind and our understanding, and then it's lived out in our behavior in our actions. So sanctification, to define it, is the process by which Christians become holy. We're becoming more like Christ. So it is the Spirit of God in us shaping us to not only do but want to do the will of God. So before, we didn't care about God. Then we realized we need to repent of our sin because our sin was destroying us. We gave our life to Christ, and from that point forward, we are being transformed into Christ. So look at uh, Romans chapter 6. Look at the first eight verses. Uh, I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How sh can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. So that video that you saw earlier, that is St. Patrick's Cathedral in Manhattan, New York. Uh, my family, we've been there, we've visited that. It's, it's beautiful. I mean, it's incredible. And what you saw was a restoration process going on at that great cathedral. And so I wanted you to see that image because that's what Paul is getting at to us. We were created in the image of God. Adam's sin brought sin into the world. We're all born into sin. Jesus died to rescue us, redeem us from that original sin and from our sin that we might live a holy life. So in Christ, we are being restored. Now, I didn't show you the final image of that cathedral after it had been restored on purpose because we will not receive final restoration until we're in heaven, which is called glorification. So in the meantime, we are in process. So that's good news because there's sometimes we put this self-guilt on, well, I need to be at this point. I should be, if, if I'm a Christian, then I should be, look, I should look like this. And we're not, maybe not there yet, but we're in process. L- last week, we talked about the sin of homosexuality. And if you didn't see that message, I, I will encourage you to go back and, and listen to it. Um, and that was one specific sin that we pulled out of a list of sins that Paul goes through. And so now today we're going to start talking about all sin. We're going to talk about your sin too. (laughs) Homosexuality may not be an issue for you, but there there are issues that are listed here in Romans that are issues for you and for me, and we're going to deal with that. So God is is showing us how he has dealt with all of our sin. Okay, and so he makes that very clear here in Romans chapter 6, as Paul says. So we are being sanctified. There's Definite sanctification, which means you are dead to sin. That happened the minute you gave your life to Jesus. There's progressive sanctification. This is what we are becoming, as Paul says, as you walk in this new life. Have you ever seen anybody baptized? A lot of times the person baptizing will, as they put the person under the water, they will say, buried with Christ, that comes out of this passage, buried with Christ and raised to walk a new life. Thank goodness we don't leave the person under the water for a long period of time right? It's not just you have, you have been dead and buried and we're going to leave you there. We, we bring you up. Depends on how sinful you are, how long we leave you, but we ultimately always bring you out. That was a joke. We don't do it according to your sin. You would drown, right? So we bring you back and, we, and the person will say to walk in new life. That's where this comes from. This is what Paul is saying to us. So it's important we understand these two. He gives us the secret of living a holy life, a set-apart life, a consecrated life given to us by God. And it's characterized by being dead to sin. It's not some sanctimonious ceremony. It's not some outer jacket or t-shirt that you wear. This is a process of how we're being characterized by God. Now, if you go back to Romans chapter 5, verse 18 through 21, now you know when the Bible was written, it was not written chapter and verse. The scribes gave us chapter and verse, so it's easy to follow along, easy to find, but this was a letter. And so a lot of times we don't read what happened before we read a verse, and it's important that we do. 
Because if you look at Romans 5.18, Paul says this, therefore as one trespass led to condemnation for all men or all people, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men, all people. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Talking about Adam here. Because of Adam's disobedience, all of us were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. He's talking about Jesus. What Jesus did trumped what Adam did. And by that, many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass or the sin, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That's the good news. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Paul is going to give us in this chapter three principles that we need to know. And the first one is the need to know. We need to know these truths. He describes this, this idea of sanctification is built on knowledge, not on feelings. And the first knowledge, the first understanding we must have in order to come to Christ is that sin is a problem. Sin is wrong. Sin is destructive. Sin is death. And out of that understanding, we repent of our sin. We ask God to set us free and forgive us of our sin so that we might live for him. So a change takes place. That's why there's evidence. Transformation takes place. The process begins. And so he's making it very clear because the readers in Rome, the Christians in Rome, were dealing with an issue trying to understand grace and sin. As he says here in chapter 5, that even though the sin was great, grace is greater. And all the people said, amen. We are grateful. We love grace. <laughs> we love to talk about grace. But the way we understand how great grace is, is we understand how terrible sin is. And, and so we have that understanding. And now we walk in this way. So we understand, first of all, how bad sin is. And now we understand what it truly means to be justified. I mean, back to my illustration of standing before the judge for speeding tickets. Imagine you thought, I'm here to pay a great fine that I can't afford, or I'm going to have to spend time in jail. And the judge says, nope, you don't have to do any of that. You can go. Man, you would be jumping for joy. You'd have a party, right? You would speed somewhere else to go have a celebration, right? So how much more overwhelming is this that I deserve to die because I am sinful? I deserve to spend eternity separated from God in a terrible place called hell, and I stand before my God, and because of Jesus, my advocate, the judge says, you are set free. Man, I'm throwing a party, right? I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to live a life that is going to redeem that decision. I'm going to live a life that reflects how grateful I am that the judge set me free. And this is Paul's encouragement to us, all right, to consider I am dead to sin, but it doesn't stop there. I am alive. Realize, we say this all the time, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive, and we were all dead, right? And now we have life through Jesus Christ. Oh, man, your amens are broken today. That's terrible because this is going to bring them out. All right? So a life of unrestrained, unrepentant behavior, sinful behavior, cannot exist with being dead to sin. If you want to sum up what Paul's saying is, look, this life of sinful behavior, this life of disobedience, it cannot exist with being dead to sin. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't work that way. If you're dead to sin, sin has no more power over you. 
You don't have to give in to it anymore. It's not king of your life anymore. The theologian Origen put it this way, to obey the cravings of sin is to be alive to sin. But not to obey the cravings of sin or succumb to its will, this is to die to sin. And we talked about this last week. Temptation is not sin. We are tempted every day. Jesus himself was tempted in the wilderness by Satan. It's when we give in to those temptations that sin occurs. And that begins the negative progression, right? Starts with our mind. We allow it to remain. We accept it that it's okay, and we commit it. And then we're dealing with guilt and pain and suffering. Sin always brings pain and suffering. Don't think you're exempt. (laughs) Don't think you're the one special case that can sin and not suffer the consequences. The Bible makes that very clear. So we need to know. Now, sin still attempts to dominate our lives. That sin nature that died because of Jesus' death and resurrection, it's still with us. Now, that's a corpse. It's dead, but we're still carrying it. It's still a battle for us. But the only way that our sin nature comes back to life is if we bring it back to life. It's like we have unplugged the sin nature. The only time it's going to try to control you is when you plug it back in. And you allow things in your life that are not of God. You make decisions that are not godly, that are not righteous, that are not following your new nature, but reflective of your old. So this is where Paul is really encouraging that Christians are going to face temptation. We're still going to sin. And Paul's not talking about the occasional trip, the occasional fall. I I fell into that. Man, I I did that sin. I know I shouldn't have. I'm sorry. He's talking about this habitual commitment to sin. That somewhere along the line, we've just accepted, well, that's just who I am. That, That sin that I've carried over into my new life, that's just a part of me. It's always going to be a part of me. It is what it is, right? Man, I hate that phrase. <laughs> no, it is, is, it, it's not what it is. It's dead. So quit acting like it's alive. Don't live according to that old sin nature. So this habitual sin, it, it, kind of this idea of con- continuing to remain in fellowship with your old sin, your old habit. You know that sin that you used to commit all the time and still causes some problems today? That's the one he's talking about, that you are like a a host and sin is your guest. I'm going to let you live here for a while because it's okay, because I'm 99% of me is good, right? 99% of me is following Jesus hardcore. It's just that 1%, and surely he's not going to mind. I mean, come on, I'm doing better than, you know, that guy. It's really not that bad. It's not even that big of a sin. I mean, come on, Jesus, you've got bigger things to worry about than my little bitty sin. And Jesus is going, I died for that one too. Because that little sin you think is little sin, it's going to grow big and it's going to ruin you. You can't let it hang out. You can't let it be there. You've got to get rid of it. So sin no longer is our king. He has cut us loose. Uh, and he uses baptism as that illustration for us of what it means to be in a new life. When we see somebody buried in the baptism waters, that old life is gone. Now, baptism doesn't save us. It's, it's reenacting what Jesus did for us. That when he was put in the tomb, he died. He was really dead. Three days later, God raised him from the dead. By that, conquered sin and death so that you and I can have life, abundant and eternal. So that's how we connect in this. But it, it goes deeper than just watching and going through baptism. It's a supernatural connection that we have to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we are engrafted in Jesus. Baptism symbolizes that. It's salvation. We are part of his death. Like Jesus died, we have died. 
And like God raised Jesus from the dead, God is raising us from the dead. A process that will be culminated at some point, but we're in process right now. Look at verse 9. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And this is the life that God offers us. Jesus doesn't have to die again. No one else has to die. There's no other Messiah coming. When Jesus died, he died to sin once and for all. He conquered sin and death. Satan thought he had won. The Messiah is dead in the grave. Three days later, God raises her from the dead, giving victory to all who will receive it. This is the good news of the gospel. That we were once dead, but because of Jesus, we could be made alive. But once we are alive in Jesus, sin has no more part in our life. So he goes on, verse 11. He's getting to us. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passion. Can I let sin remain? Paul would say, God forbid. (laughs) Paul's response to this whole thing is emotional. Again, the Roman Christians thought, hey, if grace is so awesome and grace always trumps sin, then let's sin more to get more grace. Sounds logical, right? So if I just sin more, I'm going to get to experience more grace. If I do more bad stuff, then I'm going to get a whole lot of good stuff. And Paul's response is, no, God forbid, no way. You, no, you don't understand. God's kingdom is a reverse kingdom. I mean, just think about it for a minute. God said, if you want to be great in his kingdom, you have to be a servant of all. Well, that's crazy talk. I'm here for number one. If I want to be great, I have to achieve greatness. He says, no, you have to serve. The Bible says if you want to live, then you have to die. If you want to experience the abundant eternal life that God offers, you have to die to self. Wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. Not to a human it doesn't, but that's the way God set up his kingdom. And it's right. (laughs) It's the right way. So we have to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. It doesn't just stop with the death to sin. We also have to accept that we are alive to God. So we daily count ourselves dead to sin, to the power and the penalty of sin. Hey, we sin daily, do we not? Do we not? Do you not sin every day? If you don't, you you need to find another church (laughs) because you're around a bunch of sinners, right? We sin every day, so our attitude needs to be that we repent and confess of our sin every day. I mean, I love the the prayer, God, forgive us of all of our sins. That's a great starting point, but then you need to start specifically listing your sins. Throwing a blanket over it doesn't work. You sin specifically, confess specifically. And he is faithful and just to forgive you of the sin and remove all the unrighteousness from you so that God sees us Not according to our sin, but according to his son. This is the life that we live. So the second principle is consider yourself dead, dead to sin. So we have to replace what has died with what is alive. We replace the old life that we were dead in sin with the new life that we have in Christ. Look at verse 13. Here's how we do that. Do not present your members 
to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. So here's the third principle. We are to present ourselves to God. The English Standard Version says it's instruments of righteousness. One translation, which I like a little bit better, says weapons of righteousness. (laughs) To present ourselves as weapons of righteousness, as we fight this battle of good and evil, that we are weapons of righteousness. Our lives have been ordained as weapons of God's righteousness because he has made us righteous. Nothing we did, nothing we earned, but he made us righteous. So as weapons of righteousness, the enemy cannot defeat me. Now he can knock me back, he can trip me up, he can catch me by surprise, but he can't own me anymore. Jesus owns me, and he's a much better Lord. To serve. So it's this idea of presenting ourselves to God. Because we have been justified, Paul says, we can no longer do the things we did before we were justified. How disrespectful would it be to be, have your record expunged by this judge, you leave the courtroom and just go do the same thing again? That's, excuse my language, stupid, all right? Why would we do that? We've just been set free. We deserve punishment. We got set free. Why would I go back and do the same thing? That's Paul saying, look, you've been set free from that life. It doesn't own you anymore. Why do you live like it does? Why do you still do those same sins? Why do you still let them remain in your body? Do you not realize how dangerous they are? Now, to be set free from sin doesn't mean that we're not going to face sin. doesn't mean that we're not going to sin. What it does mean is we will never stand before in a courtroom before the judge to give an account for those sins. He has forgiven them all. So the Roman Christians were struggling with this idea, well, let's sin more so we get more grace. I don't think that's our issue in our world today. I think our issue is, well, hey, I've been forgiven anyway, so why not go ahead and sin? I love that I'm forgiven, I love that, but it's not an excuse to sin. Because sin will still have consequences in your life. It will still rob you. It will still, still eat away. It can't have your life, but it will make you miserable. Satan hates you. Sin hates you. Your sin hates you. Yeah, but it's been a part of me forever. I know. And it's been tearing you up forever. Why would you let it remain? That's a weird illustration. So if somebody hit you in the head with an axe, would you just kind of walk around carrying the axe around? I don't know. This just came out of the blue. That makes sense. So erase that. So realize that we are now holy in Christ. Because of what Jesus did, we are holy in him. So as a Christian, you cannot live your old life anymore. As a Christian, you, you can't commit adultery like you used to. You can't cheat and lie at work or at school like you used to. You can't go out and get drunk like you used to. You can't go out and and do those things that you used to. You can't go look at porn sites like you used to. You can't get on websites you shouldn't. You can't listen to stuff you shouldn't. You can't do that anymore. That's not you anymore because you've realized all that stuff, as much as I thought I needed, as much as I enjoyed it, it was killing me. I was dead in all that junk. 
The world said it was good. The world says what I needed. It felt good for a while. But then I realized God said, that's, that's a cancer on your soul. And I died to cut it away. So let's live this way. It's, it's a different life. It's a difficult life. It's not easy serving God always. But it is the right way. It is the rewarding way. It is the amazing way. Because even if we die, we have real life waiting for us. Life like we never imagined. If COVID-19 kills you, man, you've just begun to live. <laughs> There's no fear in death. I, le- I realize what awaits for me is even greater. So the question is, is the life I'm living right now, is this the life Jesus died to give me? Is this the life The way I'm living life now, as a Christian, is this the life Jesus died to give me? And the good news is that our sin nature has been rendered inoperable. It has no more power over our lives unless we give it. The Holy Spirit is regenerating us. Understand something. You now have the ability to say no to sin. Even that sin has been a part of you for so long. You don't have to give in to it anymore. That temptation that trips you up. God, I'm not going to do this ever again. I promise that's the last time two weeks later. God, I promise that was the last time. I know I said last time was the last time, but I promise this is the last time. And we just keep that cycle going. You don't have to be in that cycle anymore. I went to the doctor Monday for an annual checkup. I'm fine, thank you. And he said, all right, your your blood pressure is high, your cholesterol is high. I'm going to take... I'm going to change your diet. I'm going to take everything that's good out of your diet and give you everything that you don't like. Right? That's just the way it works. I'm discovering. Right? And so I just said, as I left the doctor, I said, I'm never coming back here again. I paid you money to abuse me, and I'm not coming back. Right? What I don't know can't hurt me. Right? So I've got this list of things I can't eat. And I I love sweets, so sugar's a major no-no. White stuff, bread, rice, all that kind of stuff. And then he said corn and potatoes. Corn and potatoes? God created corn and potatoes. Why can't I eat corn and potatoes? Right? I, I love that stuff. And so the other day, Rob and I are on a road trip, and we go to Chick-fil-A, which I love Chick-fil-A. If Jesus were on the earth, he would eat Chick-fil-A. So I go to Chick-fil-A, and I'm like, okay, uh, you know what I'd normally get? I'm not going to get. I'm going to get the grilled chicken sandwich. I know it's got bread on it, but I think it's good bread. I'm sure blessed bread. Um, probably unleavened bread. I don't know. But so I get the grilled ch- chicken sandwich, which is healthier, and I get grilled chicken nuggets. Nothing fried. I don't, I don't want the meal. I want that, and I've got an unsweet tea, right? So I get the bag. We drive off. I look. I open the bag. Guess what's the first thing I see? Waffle fries. <laughs> yeah. Waffle. Big, golden, crispy, sent from heaven waffle fries, <laughs> right? So you know what I did? I reached in that bag, and I threw them in the trash. <laughs> yes, I know. Isn't that crazy? I can say no to waffle fries. (laughs) Paul's saying, you can say no to sin. I know it's golden. I know it's crispy. I know you've had it before. I know it tastes good, but you can say no. He says, not only can you say no, but you can replace it with something better. Not only can you say no to sin, but now you can replace it with life in Christ. You can replace that waffle fry with a side salad with as much ranch dressing as you want. No, no, no. Don't work the system. 
You've got to go over vinaigrette, balsamic vinaigrette, right? But you're going to replace what is bad with something good. It's not like God just said, I'm taking all this bad stuff away from you. I take it all that away from you so I can give you some amazing stuff, some God-given kind of stuff that are better than waffle fries, if you can imagine, if there is such a thing. All right, so this is the idea. In order not to let sin reign in our bodies, we have to continue to present ourselves as weapons of righteousness, every day presenting ourselves to God. Maybe that's your prayer in the morning. God, today I give you my life again. Not that you're giving again salvation, you're already saved, but today, this, this is your day, I'm giving you this day. It's not just Sunday, it's every day. God, I'm giving my life, I'm going to serve you today. So here's some, just some practical thoughts on how to do that. Right? You've, you've heard the saying, uh, feed a fever, starve a cold. Well, I'm going to change that a little bit. Let's feed a discipline and starve a temptation. Feed a discipline. The disciplines we're reading through Romans, the disciplines of our faith, let's keep feeding that, fueling that, prayer, Bible study, community, growing in the Lord, and let's starve our temptation. You know what tempts you. If you know what tempts you, don't go into areas where that temptation is going to be greater. Don't surround things. Don't invite things into your life. Don't live on the edge. Don't be in situations that are going to tempt you greater than usual. You're going to get tripped up, but don't, don't plan to be tempted, right? So the way to stop a temptation is to starve it, not give it any fuel. First of all, believe it can be done. Believe that you can say no to that sin that's been a part of you for so long, that you are being transformed. You are an overcomer. We'll talk about that in the next couple of weeks. Find an accountability partner. Find someone that you can call at midnight and say, look, dude, I'm, I'm about to give in. You know, you and I have talked about this sin in my life and how I've struggled with it in the past, and I'm determined to live free from it, but right now I'm about to give in. I'm on the edge. You've got to talk me off the ledge. You've got to come get me, <laughs> right? One of, two or three of those kind of people in your life, they're going to be there for you. Replace a bad habit with a good habit. Again, waffle fries with a salad. Memorize scripture that addresses your specific sin. There are scriptures in the Bible that's going to deal specifically with the sin that, that keeps trying to trip you up. Memorize that. This is a weapon. This is a sword, right, that we can use. Jesus did that when Satan tempted him in the wilderness. How did he respond to Satan? He quoted scripture. There's power in the Word of God. The Word of God overcomes temptation. Memorize scripture, find an accountability partner, focus on offering your life to God. Look, we are under grace, but grace is not an excuse to sin, but it is a reason to obey. And I think that's where Paul is trying to get us to intellectually, that grace is not a license to sin. doesn't mean that I can sin because I'm forgiven, but it is a reason to obey. When I realize what God has forgiven me of, when I realize what Jesus went through to provide life for me, it's out of that motivation, it's out of that love for Christ that would cause me to live a life worthy of his calling, to live a life that, that does reflect my gratitude for his death and that he became my sin. And I would say to you, if you're here and you've never experienced that level of forgiveness, then I would love to talk to you about Jesus today. I'm going to be hanging out in the connection point right after the service. If you have questions, you want to know more, you realize, hey, you've got a problem you can't fix, 
I can assure you God can. And I'd love to tell you how. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your goodness, that you know that we are all sinners. And it was out of your love for us that you sent your son to die in our place. Jesus, thank you for being our substitute. Thank you for taking the wrath of God upon yourself. Thank you for taking all of our guilt and shame upon yourself and killing it with your resurrection. Help us understand what Paul says, that we have been buried with you. Like Christ, we have died with you, Jesus. We have died to sin. That old nature is buried, and we have been raised to a new life. Father, we look forward to the day that that is completed. But in the meantime, help us to become more like your son every day. In Jesus' name, amen.